Welcome to the Adventures in Producing podcast. My name is Wendy Mitchell. I'm a UK-based film journalist and film festival consultant. And I started these talks with amazing producers because I don't think independent film and TV producers get enough attention for all their work. I think a lot of people don't understand what a producer actually does. So in each episode, I talk to one producer about their career and some lessons learned. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Katja Adamite. Hi, Wendy. Hey. (laughs) Hi. Katja is a German-born, Denmark-based producer. I met her when she was already living in Denmark. She has produced films including The Weight of Elephants, Loving Pia and Resin by Daniel Borgman, Pine Ridge and Lida and Transnistra by Anna Ibon, Team Hurricane by Annika Berg, Wolf and Sheep and the Orphanage by Shar Sadat. She has also been a co-producer on Ruben Oslin's Force Majeure and The Square. Uh, one of the reasons I love her, she has worked in Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Germany, Denmark, France, Russia, Ukraine, China, and New Zealand. <clears throat> she was one of our future leader producers at Screen International in, I think, about 2015, maybe? Yeah, I think and- it was 2014. Okay, 2014. And she was a producer on the move in Cannes as well. So Katja, um, I just think you're such a, producing seems to really suit you. You seem to really enjoy the challenges, the sort of risks. Did you always think you might want to be a producer rather than a director or a writer or work in the business side? No, I think like originally I actually wanted to become a director. Uh, but somehow this quickly turned uh, into becoming a producer instead because I I actually have no joy in directing or directing actors or being on set or working with all all the departments. Um, it, it it I'm not good at it and it, it bores me. Um, so then I quickly figured out that that. I'm really good at producing. I can make, make things happening and no matter how difficult or challenging uh, things are, I can bring projects to life. Um, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Sometimes I, still, sometimes I actually still think about should I stay being a producer <laughs> or should I do something else? I don't know. What would be the next choice? That's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think that means you have to stay a producer because you're <laughs> you're making stuff happen. And how did you um, actually break in? Because you went to the Super 16 Film School in Denmark. Um, you know, first of all, what what made you go to Super 16? You know, there are German, great German film schools. Um, or you know, were you already in Denmark and then went? No, I was living, actually, it was in 2005, I was living in Berlin, but I was um, um, feeling away sick. I don't know, yeah, away sickness. And uh, and uh, so I applied to production companies all over the world, like from the films that I liked uh, and sent out a lot of applications, but only one production company answered and that was um, Centropa. Ah. And uh, Peter Olberg uh, Jensen, he invited me for an interview and said, hey, listen, uh, learn Danish, then I'll give you a job. So I moved the week after to Denmark. And uh, three months later, I started as his assistant. Um, 
That's yes. just a remarkable story. Um, so yeah, what what was it like working at Zentropa then? I guess you had your eyes open to what production was really like. Yeah, I when I when I was working at his assistant, that's when I started uh, producing zero zero budget films, uh, and then the the first sh like short films. So the first short film came into Lucano, the second one at official competition Cannes, and the third one at Cement uh, de la Critique, and one actually Cement de la Critique. So then it was clear, okay, I'm moving quickly to my the first feature film, but. Uh, I think before I even started the weight of elephants shooting, I opened up my own company in Denmark. And then that is, that was because I always felt like that I'm not as good if I have to report to someone else. Uh, like it's fine if it's I'm, I'm, I'm a pro producer and there are co-producers or I'm a co-producer and there are other co-producers, but if I'm like um, if there's someone in the hierarchy above me and I can't make decisions on my own, then I'm actually not as good. I've learned this about myself as well through various jobs and bosses and being the boss and then now being freelance. Yeah. 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 So that was around sort of 2011, 2012, you started Adamite Film? Yeah. 2011. Yeah. Okay. 2011, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And was that scary to set up your own company and put your name on the door? No, no, I can't. I mean, I can't remember that I, I was I was scared. Probably I was, but I can't remember. I, I was just so eager to be independent and to make my own projects, own the rights to the projects. Uh, um, yeah, have the fully responsibility for everything. Um, that's what I was really looking forward to, basically. Yeah. And the company is, has grown since then. You're now, you work across Germany and Denmark. Can you tell us a little bit about the setup and you, you're working with some other people as well? Yeah. Um, well, in 2017, I opened up the company in, uh, in, in Berlin and in Lübeck, where I'm, I was born. Um, and um, I did it or originally because I couldn't finance Shaban Sadat's film through Denmark. Um, that was uh, Wolf and Sheep or something earlier? That, that was for the orphanage, basically. Oh, for the orphanage. So, oh, yeah. um, so I, I thought, okay, maybe it's easier to finance it as a, as a majority from Germany and then go minor, minority to Denmark. But uh, then we got, a, uh, I think, the fourth rejection from the Danish Film Institute also for a minority. And then I swapped it around again uh, and uh, sent another application. And then we made it happen, majority Denmark. But that was, that was the original idea by opening the German company. And uh, now the third film by Shabanum said that we produce majority from the German company. Uh, I have then my mom and my dad who are... Uh, over 70 and uh, working in the company in Germany or from the administrative side because I felt like they had don't I mean they don't have a job anymore so it would be good to for them to train them in in, in film administrative the film administrative side I and, love that um why only training you know young people also the old people would be amazing to train 
And then the, in the Danish company, I have a, a producer uh, called Jeppe Bok, who started uh, August this year. He came from the Norwegian Film School and um, I'm doing 50% uh, of my time as the head teacher for the producers at the Norwegian Film School as well. Oh. So I uh, got to know him there and he's uh, amazing. So he started in, in the in the Danish, on the Danish side, as well as Jon Hammer, who is partly based on the Faroe Islands and in Denmark as well. Yeah, the empire is growing. I love it. Yeah, it should. Yeah. Um, so you are, you know, based in Denmark mostly. And, you know, what do you like about being a producer there? Um, you know, there is great government support for film, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, do, does it also have its challenges? You know, if the Danish Film Institute or, you know, turns you down or DR doesn't want the TV rights, does it make it impossible to do something? And, you know, does it help being uh, an outsider in Danish culture? Well, I mean, I, I, I like, I like Denmark. I like Scandinavia. I, I really feel at home here. Sometimes I think, okay, moving, shall I move back to Germany? But I, I actually think that I have become a non-German in a way somehow. Um, I think like the way I produce is I, I, I work with talents that and directors that I fall in love with and that I mean I can't I can't make a strategy about that so that's why um, some of the directors I work with they are non-Danish yeah. and that's the challenge for me because uh, the National Film Institute they they really want to support Danish stories Danish language and Danish directors um, and I work with a New Zealand director and I, I work with an Afghan director. Uh, and that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, yeah, and I sometimes I feel actually a, a little bit like an outsider because I'm because I'm not I'm not Danish. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I don't, I, I, I don't mind it. I'm, yeah. You know, I feel the same sometimes with just being an American living in the UK. Like if I'm embarrassed about America, I just sort of say I'm we, that I'm British. Or if I'm proud of America, I'm like, oh yes, I'm American, you know. Um, so there can be benefits to, <laughs> to both. Uh, you have co-produced uh, the Ruben Ostlin films like The Square and Force Majeure. Um, you know, on that, is it, how did you get involved with those with Eric at, at Platform? And, you know, is that more about Danish funding or do you get a creative voice at the table? What's it like working on those? It actually came through uh, Philip Bobea. Oh, yeah. Um, who's at the co-production office in France, if people don't know him, and a yeah. producer and the seller of those songs, yeah. Yeah, and he has a, a production company, co-production office Denmark, and uh, we met like uh, many years ago, and that's how he asked me if I want to co-produce uh, the films in co-production office Denmark. Um, so it's about the financing and basically also organizing, well, everything that sits on the Danish side. 
And if there is any creative involvement, it's mostly to towards Philippe Robert rather than to Ruben. Okay. So yeah. if it's like um, feedback on scripts or edits, then I, Philippe Robert would ask me and I, yeah. I generate that. Yeah. Did you get a vote on my beloved Clay Spang? Um, well, I hired the. I, it was me who chose the casting casting director. So okay, so thank you from my as the Clay Spang super fan. I can thank you. Yeah, yeah. eventually it was, yeah. Uh, it was amazing <laughs> the way it came to life. I think. Yeah, love those films. Are you involved in Triangle of Sadness or not? No, I'm not. Okay, well, we're all looking forward to that one anyway. Um, so with uh, Emmetin Shar Sadat, Shar Banu Sadat, who's an Afghan-born filmmaker, um, how did you meet her and discover this amazing talent? Yeah, I met uh, Shar in 2012 uh, when we got paired up at the, the Docs Lab, which uh, CPH. Oh, the CPH Docs. Yeah. Ah, cool. It's it's like a it's like a lab where they pair up a filmmaker from Europe and a, 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 a filmmaker from outside of Europe, and they have like nine months to to make a film, and a very small budget. And uh, when they paired us up, and I didn't know anything about Shah before, um, and when I met her in two thousand twelve, she was twenty two years old. <laughs> So, uh, and she just, uh, she, she had completely shaved her hair off uh, in protest because in Afghanistan, uh, when, uh, well, in Afghanistan, men who can shave off the hair of their newly married, if they find out on the wedding night that the woman was not a virgin anymore by the white linen. And then they can send, shave their hair off and can send her back. Or, um, and there we instantly clicked. And uh, yeah, I admired her, her so much and I still do. Um, and you actually collaborated together on a film called Not at Home? Or yes, what was that? Yeah, uh, because I was so scared at that time to go to, to Afghanistan. And later I did in 2014 but I was also scared then when I was there. But then, uh, because the, the whole setup with the Docs Lab was like that the European filmmaker travels to the uh, non-European filmmaker's country and they make a film there. And I was so scared to go to Afghanistan. So we kind of um, shared the shooting. So I did the shooting in Germany and she did the shooting in Afghanistan and then we edited together. Um, Wow. And then, you know, Wolf and Sheep was set mostly in Afghanistan. Um, I remember talking to you and Shar about making this film and it just blew my mind. I mean, I obviously I'm doing this series because I think independent producing is sort of miraculous always. But this kind of film was like a special miracle. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you were able to shoot it? Yeah, um, I mean, both Wolf and Sheep and the Orphanage were had kind of the same setup. Um, both are set in Afghanistan and were sh shot in Tajikistan. And um, both of these films were majority produced out of Denmark with with 21 financiers, low budget films in four to five countries. Um, 
and we had to make Afghanistan in Tajikistan. For wolf and sheep, we found a, a, a valley where we one-to-one -one built a village that looks like an Afghan village. Um, and for the orphanage, we found a real location in Tajikistan. Well, the thing is like in Tajikistan, there is not really the, the film industry. So you, there are a lot of problems coming with shooting there. Uh, you know, nothing is working. Basically, uh, breakfast not coming, cars break down, racism against Afghans, police are coming, uh, picking up, stealing the passports of the Afghans, uh, people throwing them out of the hotel. Uh, for wolf and sheep also, we, we filmed at a place where the water was, uh, was very poisoned somehow. So just from showering, the entire film crew got really, really sick and we had to like, you know, transport them into a hospital like <laughs> almost every day. It was completely crazy. Um, and also for wolf and sheep, the equipment uh, got stolen in Istanbul and uh, we had to start shooting 10 days later as planned. So we cut 20 pages out of the script. Uh, and on the orphanage, um, we, the, the entire uh, European crew turned, turned against us uh, and didn't want to work with <laughs> Shah and me because, well, because we don't work traditionally. Uh, and uh, so they kind of underestimated yeah, what we do, plus all these small little problems that occur from the from in Tajikistan, that they are very aware of, but that we just you know trying to fix all the time, that um, gives a little bit insecurity, somehow. Uh, I mean, it's just insane hearing about it. I mean, you can laugh about it a little bit now, but. Were there ever days that you thought it might fall apart, the whole film, <clears throat> or that you might fall apart and just say, I can't do this anymore? No? Yeah, 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 oh. yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, definitely, lots of, uh, I, I mean, lots of crying involved, both from my side, more, more from my side and from Shah's side, yeah. but, uh, uh, I, I think that Shah and I were both traumatized from, especially after the orphanage. I, I, it was just uh, too much to, to handle. And yet, um, <clears throat> you're going again. Uh, Shah's planning another collaboration with you called Kabul Jan. Yeah, Kabul Jan. Jan. Um, and this is going to be more of a romance, I think, a romantic drama. Romantic um, comedy, yeah. Comedy too. Um, it just won a prize at Cinemart in Rotterdam. Congrats. Um, what are the challenges going to be of, of, of this next one? Even more? Uh, the same, same challenges. Uh, how are we going to finance it? Uh, I'm trying to finance it with like uh, lesser financiers than 21. Uh, so, <laughs> so bigger amounts from, uh, from financiers. And then we we have the challenge to to make exterior Kabul, and we don't want to shoot in Tajikistan. We need to shoot somewhere else. Um, and then another challenge is to make a romantic comedy because neither Shah nor I have ever done a romantic comedy, and we want, really want to do a traditional romantic comedy uh, with a, a lot of playfulness, though. And um, 
yeah and then we want to hook up with collaborators that you know can help us make it okay wow good luck i'm sure we're going to see that film made yeah we will hopefully with less than 21 partners you never know yeah <clears throat> um let's talk about some of the other directors you work with because i know anna eborn is amazing i love her work and that's i guess usually really creative nonfiction. you know not at all what we would think of as a traditional documentary um how did you meet anna and what do you enjoy about working with her yeah and i met in 2009 um and I actually looked it up. She wrote me an email saying the jungle drum said that I was the coolest producer in town. And uh, she said she wasn't, she's working on a short film that was inspired by Rory Seidel and Werner Herzog. And, uh, and then she said only uh, even dwarfs started small. So then we met and uh, started immediately working together. Um, but now she lives in Stockholm. So she produces, uh, her producer is David Harris from Memento Film, who was my longtime friend and uh, one of the producers I admire the most. And um, I co-produced them on the on the Danish side. Okay, cool. And also the, these are actually the only the documentaries I, I produce. Uh, yeah, and do you want to do more or is it just because Anna's voice is so special in documentary? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I wanna, I wanna stick to fiction and, uh, yeah. and Anna. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about Daniel Borgman, who you've worked with on, I think, three features so far and three more coming up. Uh, how did you meet him? He's originally from New Zealand. Yeah, you know, uh, we used to be a couple. I don't know if you know that. I don't know that. No. I met him in New Zealand in uh, 2004 and he came with me to, to Europe. So I have known and worked with him almost half of my life. Um, yeah, and he is, I mean, he is a multi-talent. He directs, he is a cinematographer, he edits, he sews clothes, makes furniture, rides, like, you know, and he, when uh, Peter said to me, hey, come and learn Danish and then I give you a job. And I was like, you know, studying Danish from morning to evening, 13 hours every day. And Daniel, of course, then got a job before me <laughs> as a visual effects artist and uh, a grading technician. Um, so that's how he started. Okay. And you made The Weight of Elephants together. And that was one of your first features. And that was that shot in New Zealand? It's English language. Yeah. It's, it's, is it a family? I've never actually seen the film. Is it, it's a family film or it's a coming of age? It's, it's, it's a coming of age drama. Yeah. But it's but not it's, for kids. Not for kids. Yeah. But with a kid in the main role. <laughs> And what did you learn about making a film in New Zealand? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, because the project was started as a Danish project, but most of the financing came from New Zealand, that somehow I, I learned that created an unbalance in, in power because uh, if you creatively coming with, with everything from one country, but the financing, more financing comes from a different country, then it, it, is, it is difficult to, to get things through, <laughs> stubborn as we are. Um, and it's also, I mean, they're working really with an English system, uh, um, both 
like administrative wise, contract wise, uh, very heavy, uh, long, contracts, long <laughs> contracts. Uh, and and also the, the whole idea that originally was that turned into bigger, 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 because, you know, we're not, we need to have a continuity, continuity on set. We need to have a whole lighting set. So it got like very big. And it, this was the first feature film. Ah. So I, we should have, you know, made something else, kept it, kept it small, made it maybe only with financing from Denmark, that probably would have been the better solution. Yeah. Even though I, I'm, I'm proud of what we did and, but um, it was, it became somehow too big, I think. Yeah. Um, very different kind of film, but Team Hurricane was another interesting film that you produced. This was made all in Denmark. Um, did it come out of New Danish Screen or even Skitsen or? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, the Danish Film Institute at that time had a low budget uh, scheme. Ah, yeah. Um, and uh, I met Annika while she was still at film school in her last semester at film school. And then we started developing and uh, we wanted to, as soon as she comes out of first film school, apply for this low budget scheme with a budget of 3 million kroners. So what is that? 400,000 euros. And um, uh, Annika is, is and Team Hurricane is developed in the same way as she usually works. She doesn't write scripts. Uh, so uh, she, a lot of times she writes just scenes where she has pictures or YouTube clips uh, she gets inspired with. So you go from scene to scene and you see the action explained and what it is inspired with, uh, like the beginning of uh, Europe or, you know, like stuff like this. And then you have to watch a, a YouTube, YouTube clip. So we, we applied to the Danish Film Institute and we actually made a homepage because it, there were a lot of gifts involved in, in, in the script. Yeah. So the commissioning editor could, you know, open the web page. It was not, it was a closed web page. Not everyone yeah. was able to see it. So the commissioning editor could like log in and then see the script with all YouTube clips and pictures and GIFs like playing and reading through. And at the same time could click onto uh, who could be the cast? What are the options? What are the backstories to the cast? And the cast had maybe had maybe made self tapes in the cast and because all these protagonists, they're non-actors that we casted from, from the area of Copenhagen. And they came with self tapes. Uh, and we also had a workshop where they could make like video diaries. Everything was on the webpage uh, uh, and was, um, and the commissioning editors as well as crew could look into into this whole universe. Wow! And I mean, was it as crazy as it sounds working with all those teenage girls? Was it exciting? Was it inspiring? Was it? Um, I mean, it's a very different way to work. It is because um, the I mean, we didn't have a proper production plan. And the production plan had to be like changed every day for the next day because then uh, then we couldn't make this scene because 
because it, it didn't kind of fit anyhow or the teenagers didn't feel like it or, uh, uh, or Annika was like mm, not in the mood right now to make the scene we need to swap it for the next day um, it was actually very inspiring I, I think because I mean everything that is non-traditional I think is inspiring and also working with weird people in a fiction fictional mm. sense is I think really inspiring because it's so honest yeah, and so immediate. Uh, and, and also, you know, if you have to stay so open and flexible, then gold can come yeah. out of that. So how do you sort of look for that gold? Now we were talking um, before the interview uh, just about some of your upcoming projects and you were saying you, you want to, you know, not necessarily make them more commercial, but just make them, you know, appeal to a wide audience or wider audience than some of the very artistic, you know, festival only films. So how do you balance the creative and the inspiring with, you know, finding audiences for, for some of the things ahead? Um, yeah, I think like, um, well, at the moment I'm developing eight feature films. Um, and that's that's a lot. Um, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I I I did I I what I feel like I did a lot of festival films for the last eight years. Uh, since two thousand thirteen, I think I I produced co-produced 20, 20, 20 films, and what I felt like. You know, because I'm not in, in touch with the festival audience. I'm at the world premiere, but then the director is traveling around from festival to festival. And it felt like I, well, to learn also something different, I want to try to make other kinds of films, uh, go away from the art, art, art house uh, side and really dig into uh, art house crossover, uh, uh, make something entertaining, make something light makes I think this, this is what what I want to do and what what the world needs <laughs> um, and um, I think that making these kind of films just in the process of making these films you can I become happy yeah. or like uh, because it's just not so 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 heavy um, yeah, and also, I mean, of course, there's also the economy side of it because uh, for the past eight years, I really, you know, risk stuff because I invest a lot into films that are not going to make a lot of revenues. Um, yeah. So, no. I don't know if I have answered. I know that's a very honest answer, but I also think, you know, I don't think we have to worry that you're going to start making a lot of like dumb Scandi Noir. Um, not that Scandi Noir is dumb, but, you know, I'm sure you could make some cheap, quick commercial films. And that's not what you're going to do either. Can, can you tell us anything that is coming up, even, you know, even without titles or anything, just the kinds of things you're excited to work on? Well, there's um, the one we talked about is the romantic comedy. Um, 
uh, with, with Shah. Another project I have with her is a, an animation film. Um, so also for a big family audience, um, also because I'm uh, developing with Daniel Borkman one uh, female superhero film. Um, and I'm working with him on a mystery crime thriller. Um, yeah, and then I'm working on a neon western in Greenland, set in Greenland. Ooh, yeah. Um, with uh, Ilum Jacobi, who I have produced uh, his first feature, uh, The Trouble of Nature, that premiered in Rotterdam last year. Um, and then I'm doing, I'm doing a road movie in, in the US with uh, Kaspar Astrup Schröder, who's a Danish director who did a lot of documentaries in his first uh, fiction feature film. Um, yeah, so I'm excited yeah. about all of these projects. Yeah. They all sound very interesting, yeah. And I think they'll still all have their challenges and their artistic sides. And But hopefully the US road trip is easier than Tajikistan, we'll see. Yeah, but that again, you know, how to finance from Denmark. Yeah, <laughs> true. Everyone's got its own challenge. Um, there's some questions I like to ask everybody. Um, yeah. And one is, um, how do you ba balance the, the really creative side of producing with the financial side, the, the financing, the business, the juggling 22 financiers, the contracts, all that? I mean, um, do you enjoy both parts? Yeah, I, I think like um, the most important as a producer is probably figuring out like what are you good at or what am I good at and what am I not good at? And uh, I think I still trying to figure it out and also stick to it. That's, that's you know, I really like to develop uh, projects creatively and I also really love financing. But there are a lot of things that I, I'm, I'm really, I don't like and I'm not good at. So someone else needs to, take, <laughs> needs to do that. And um, that is a struggle because first of all, you need to have the economy. Uh -huh. so I need to have the econ economy to, to employ people who take care of, of, of that. Uh, so it is, I think I, it is a struggle to, to, because there are so many parts I mean, if it's creative developing the project, financing the project, uh, the whole production part, uh, crew casting, post-production, uh, marketing, PR, uh, festivals, uh, VOD. I mean, it's just to be in control of all these elements when you're only one person, it's, um, it's a lot. Yeah. That's why I'm partially why I'm doing this series of talks, because I think people don't understand that all of this falls to the producer. And yeah, you know, sometimes there is not money to hire a publicist or, you know, if it's a very tiny film or, or to do to wrangle the poster or to do this festival strategy. Um, I mean, what what do you think that people misunderstand about what a producer actually does? I think like a lot of people think that the they are some sort of production person on set and even crew uh, you know a lot of people think where's the producer why is the producer not on set 
what is the producer doing then then they immediately think neg negatively of the producer because the producer is not on set that minute yeah <laughs> there, there's a, somehow not not the understanding of the range of things that that a producer need need to do yeah sometimes you would much rather be on set than in an office dealing with 22 lawyers on a skype call you know well i don't like to be on set but <laughs> yeah. Ah. yeah you you mentioned at the beginning you don't really like sets no because if i'm on set you know then i'm getting really sweaty hands about things that might not work out and then i just i i could i confuse the director because have you thought about this and have you like on what i mean and then uh, i'm just causing trouble more so than do you try if possible not to be on the set yeah i can be in the, in, in the office uh, close to the set so the director can also come in and say hey listen this just happened on set uh, what shall i do or uh, well i am at the same time doing the office stuff okay. but like being directly on set this setting sitting in video village that's not you no oh that's funny um can you think of your best day on set yeah uh, I think the best days on set were definitely on Loving Pia uh, because it was like very intimate and we were a small crew and it was like just very creative and honest and, and caring and just fun. Um, I think I said before, rich, real people in, in a fictional setting, they enrich the whole process and also the, yeah, the working with them and enrich the, the project itself. Yeah, no, I was thinking about Pia when you were talking about Team Hurricane. Um, what about your pet peeves on set? Like something that people do or crew do or visitors do that you that annoys you? Well, it's mostly crew I was thinking about. I'm thinking about, I mean, like, for example, uh, Hiraku structure I'm not a big fan of and also like lazy behavior like um, in the sense of people just sitting in front of the monitor and uh, even when they don't have anything to do in their own department that that they you know not trying to help other departments uh, stuff like that or um, then undermining or, or criticizing producers directors decision is uh, not so good and also like underestimating um, producer and director for the, the way they work. Yeah. Uh, if they may be um, doing things differently or trying to do things differently, different process in, in order to uh, reach a different result. Yeah, or just to make it happen. Like if you're, like you were saying, if you're in Tajikistan, you might have to work in a different way mm. than you do in a, cozy studio in Copenhagen or something? Yeah, I, I mean, I heard comments like uh, go back to film school or um, or, or like uh, there's a reason why uh, films have been made like this for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't handle that so well. Um, can you think of a professional mistake you've made that you've learned from? Yeah, I can see that um, you have sent this question is the only question I actually have not written anything about. <laughs> and I think it was because I, because there are so many mistakes. 
uh, and it was difficult for me to pinpoint um, miss yeah one mistake yeah. because I think like under each project uh, I'm doing so many mistakes for each project uh, so I could you know go back to each project I I produced and say okay there I did this and this and this and this that wasn't good and then yeah. Um, and I, I didn't tell you I wanted to ask you this, but um, we didn't really talk about Super 16 as a film school. And no. you know, that little trigger of somebody saying, go back to film school. Mm -hmm. um, what is Super 16 like? Because it's a, the alternative to the Danish National Film School. Um, you know, did you enjoy your time there? Did you, did you think it was a good fit for you? Um, I'm not sure if it was a good fit for me. But I'm not sure if any film school would, would have been so such a fit for me because I, I I feel like I was already you know when I started uh, when I started film school the first year we had the film winning in the short film winning in, in uh, Critics Week yeah. and then we already developed the the feature film so the other students probably probably would have thought uh, we are not really committed because we had so much going on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The school. yeah. But also I think like now teaching at the Norwegian film school as well, I I think even if I got gotten into the Danish film school, which I applied for, but didn't come in. And the whole, you know, discussing everything, never coming to a point, also, what I told you before that I really like to have the responsibility on my own and uh, make decisions on my own, then everything needs to be discussed and never coming to a conclusion or a conclusion takes so long time. It's really um, exhausting for me. Yeah, I think um, film school isn't for everybody and I don't think we should have to say it is. I mean, I think a lot of people get something out of many different kinds of film schools, but um, what is there a piece of advice you give to the producing students in Norway? And I'm sure it's like lessons after lessons after lessons. In terms of like what I just said, in terms of uh, discussing stuff? No, just in terms of producing and being a producer. Can you give them a, some practical advice too? Um. <clears throat> I guess like never giving up and uh, always, you know, digging in, uh, trying on, on your own um, until there is a solution found. Um, yeah. I think that's some perfect advice, especially from you who just makes it happen. I. Yeah, I've always been inspired by the way you produce. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for talking about your career with us today. Thank you for thinking about me. Yes, and um, good luck with the eight films coming up. We can't wait to see them. And yes, um, can't wait to see the next challenges and adventures. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Adventures in Producing podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. This series of talks is also available on video at youtube.com. And you can find those links at my website, filmwendy.com. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks also to bensound.com for the music. Hope you join us again soon.